The last time I remember preaching the text I'm using this morning, uh, the last time I remember preaching it was 29 years ago on January the 12th. Because every year, the, usually about the second Sunday in January, is the Sunday we celebrate Jesus' baptism. And we ask questions like, hmm, what, is, what does it mean that Jesus was baptized? 29 years ago, on the 12th of January, I was preaching that sermon to be recorded, audio recorded, by the way, because in those days, there wasn't video recording uh, uh, possible. I was recording it because it was what was necessary for me to become an ordained clergy person in the United Methodist Church. I was preaching it, so you better be sure that I was working to make sure my, all my I's were dotted and my T's were crossed, uh, etc. I was paying attention to all of those things. And add to that, in addition to that being the pressure that this was the sermon for my ordination, it was also the Sunday, the first Sunday, that Linda heard me preach in person in a congregational context. And it was the Sunday after which, after worship, we were going to drive home for her to meet my parents for the first time. Linda had never met them. I had had the Grand Inquisition with Linda's family. We went to meet her parents, and instead of her parents, all of her sisters and brother-in-laws and all the grandchildren were around this big table. I sat at one end. They all sat around the table. It was supposedly lunch with mom and dad, and it was the Grand Inquisition. There was no water torture or thumbscrews, but short of that, it was... A t it was what makes you think you should have Linda? So I was hoping that my parents weren't going to go that way as well. So all of that went into this story about the baptism of Jesus. And I wanted to make sure it was theologically correct and all of that kind of stuff because I was going to be graded on the sermon. Today I'm less concerned about theological correctness as I am about healing and hope and what this story says, because today kicks off a series where we're going to look at some big events in Jesus' life, some things he did, and ask the question, what did that mean for Jesus, and what does that mean for us? What does it teach us about who we are and who we're meant to be? What did it say to Jesus? So having said all that, we're looking at Mark chapter 1, and we are... We are listening to this story now uh, that leads up to and includes Jesus' baptism. John the baptizer, what a great name. He's the one that gets to baptize Jesus. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair, camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. 
I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. There's a lot going on here. We're not going to unpack the whole thing because there's just too much. So rather than try to get it all, yes, I'm stepping out of the picture for a moment so I can set down my Bible and then step on my mic cord. Uh, there are a couple of things I want to hit. First of all, this John the Baptizer character. You know, we tend to look at him when we look back in kind of a romanticized way over the last 2,000 years and think, you know, a religious guy, you know, baptized Jesus. You need to understand something. John the baptizer, in our minds, is a religious guy. And other people actually came to hear him and follow him. And he has sort of a prophetic feel about who he is. But the bottom line is, he is completely outside of the normal, everyday, religious kind of connotations of what it is to be a religious person. He's out in the wilderness. He's not in the synagogue, and he is not in the temple in Jerusalem. He is an outsider. Now, Jesus doesn't go to get baptized by an insider. He doesn't go to face the rites of purification from his local rabbi, are the priest in the temple. That's nothing. I, I, I'm not denigrating modern rabbis or priests or anything else. I'm simply saying that the actual act of being baptized by Jesus was itself revolutionary. He chose somebody outside, outside of traditional faith, to do the business, to put the water on him. And so he went to the River Jordan, where John, who we recognize had proclaimed, there's one coming after me who is greater than I, whether or not he recognized who Jesus was or not, we're not completely sure in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Doesn't say. This is the guy. <laughs> you know, John doesn't take him aside and say, hey, and this is the guy. We just see Jesus come among the throngs of people. Now, if you've ever watched one of those religious movies where Jesus goes to the River Jordan, John drops on his knees and is all, woo, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I don't see that happening in the Gospel of Mark. It's a nice embellishment. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is one guy in a line waiting to kneel and have water poured over him. And so Jesus waits in line and he's baptized. Now if you know much about baptism, and John's baptism is a baptism for the repentance from sin. This was a big point I had to make in my sermon 29 years ago. I don't have a copy of it anymore. Hopefully neither does the Board of Ordained Ministry because, oh Lord, I can't even imagine what I said 29 years ago. But did Jesus have to be baptized for repentance of sin? 
I mean, so often we've talked about how Jesus lived a sinless life, sinless perfection, all of that good kind of stuff. Did he have to be baptized for that reason? Uh, or was baptism about something else? And I'm wondering today if, in, if baptism for Jesus and for us isn't about something else altogether. What happens? Jesus waits in line with the rest of the throng. That's how I picture it. He comes up to John. John either grabs him by the arms and lays him back in the water if it's one of the deep parts of the Jordan River. But there are lots of parts of the Jordan River that aren't so deep. So he may have had to kneel down and John may have dumped water on his head. I don't know which one happened and it doesn't really matter the form. We know Jesus was baptized. But as Jesus comes up out of the water, he hears. Now this is the Gospel of Mark. You need to listen closely. Go back and read it for yourself if you want to in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus hears. Not the crowd hears. Nobody else who is there necessarily hears this message. Only Jesus hears for himself. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Only Jesus hears it. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. It's like the spirit descending like a dove and he hears those words wash over him to tell him who he is. And I'm convinced that's what baptism is for all of us. It tells us who we are. It reminds us of who we are, of whose we are, of what we're about in this world. We used to sing a song in the old days of St. James, back in the old building and then when we were in temporary space, uh, when Tom was playing, a wonderful song, Remind Me, the chorus goes, Remind Me Once Again Who I Am to You. Who I Am to You. Capital Y-U, God. Tell me once again, lest I forget, or lest I forget, tell me once again who I am to you, who I am to you. And you see, that's what baptism is about. In fact, that's probably why the church was smart enough when it was thinking of the church year. We don't always follow the church year at St. James. I'll just be straight with you. Christmas and Easter, we got that down. Some of the rest of the ordinary year, we don't always follow. But perhaps we need to keep the baptism of our Lord for a reason, to remind us who we are to God. And let me say something a little bit more about who you are to God. For Jesus, it was a secret that only we, the overhearers, knew that he was told, you know, because we're reading it in the book. Maybe nobody else heard it, but they saw it in his life. So that in the Gospel of Mark, there's only one person that pronounces out loud who he is. The centurion as he dies. This indeed is the Son of God. That's the only one that says it out loud to other people. A large group of them anyway. Otherwise, in the Gospel of Mark, it's all about secrets. Let it be seen in Jesus' actions, not in somebody saying words about him. Too many times we hear lots of good words about somebody, and then you look at their actions, not the same thing. With Jesus, we see it in his actions over and over and over again so that we're reminded of what the words he heard were at his baptism. Now, for you or me, 
we need to remember who we are in God. And I just want to tell you a couple of things. It's much deeper than your party politics. You are not a Republican. You are not a Democrat. You are not a communist or a socialist or an anarchist or any of those things. Your identity is deeper than that. You may associate yourself with those people. And I know people who no longer associate with either one because they just don't know what to do with them. <laughs> and they don't apparently know how to do it to, with themselves either. That's a side issue. You are more than your political affiliation. You are more than your tax bracket. You are more than your job title. At a deeper level, you are God's beloved. Now, I'm not so sure about whether God's well-pleased or not, but I know you are God's beloved. I know it. The biblical story tells me over and over again, you are God's beloved. Now, how are you living that out? If in the Gospel of Mark, this is one of the few times, now we're in on something that nobody else in the crowd is in on. If nobody said it out loud about you, if you didn't say, hey, I go to St. James United Methodist Church. Now, some people would say, oh, you're one of those United Methodists. I don't know if you believe in God or not. You know, uh, and there you go, right there. Because not only are you not your political affiliation, you're not your religious affiliation. I don't care whether you're Baptist, Episcopalian, Catholic, Orthodox, or even United Methodist, or even ununited Methodist, as may be the case this year. Who knows? You are not your affiliation. You are the beloved of God at the deepest level. You may express it as a United Methodist, or you may express it as a Baptist, or you may express it as a Catholic, and you can express it in any number of ways. But that's not who you are at the deepest level. God didn't look at you and say, thank God you're a Baptist. Or Methodist or anything. At the deepest level, we need to be reminded over and over again who we are to God. Because if you really knew you were beloved, if you really knew you were beloved, all this divisiveness would go away. I'm convinced our biggest problem as people in this world, not just in this nation, but everywhere else too, is we don't know we're loved. And we got to prove it in all sorts of ways. Breaking into Capitol buildings, uh, you, you know, marching, burning things, hurting other people, all of that kind of stuff. We are trying to convince ourselves we're loved for what we do. And we're convinced that the thing we do, even if it's violent and ugly, somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. If we knew deep inside we were beloved, we wouldn't even say an ugly thing about one another. Ever. Ever. We wouldn't need to. Almost every ugly thing I've ever said about another person, every self-righteous condemnation I've ever made was so I could feel better about myself. It wasn't because the other person was so crappy. <laughs> it was because I wasn't feeling so good about myself and I could feel better by pointing at those Democrats, those Republicans, those communists, socialists. We gotta, got new labels. Labels allow us to not take God's word seriously. 
It allows us to forget that the whole Bible was written for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that's because God absolutely and unconditionally loves you and wants you to love him back. That's it. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole reason we do this thing on Sunday mornings, and I know I'm getting wound up and I'm going to calm back down. It's five cups of coffee and no sleep. That's what it is. And it's also because I feel so strongly about it. In the end, we are measured by our love or lack thereof. You know, you are a sign of God's love just by being alive. Can you maybe reflect it? Can I maybe reflect it? Can I be reminded and remember at the deepest self of who I am that God already loves me? I don't have to prove it by burning flags or anything else. I can't prove it by what nation I live in. I can only prove it by loving. That means loving the neighbor I like, who's exactly like me. I can pat on the shoulder. Oh, well, it wasn't me that rushed the Capitol. Whew, look at me. It means loving the people who I find their action abhorrent. This is hard work. If somebody signs you up for this because it's easy, they sold you a bill of goods. And if it was me, forgive me. Forgive me. Because this walk of loving your neighbor is hard work. It's pretty easy when things are peaceful, when your neighbor doesn't play loud music, when your neighbor doesn't charge symbols of your nation or other things. It's, it's much easier to love. But it's harder. And as you know, that's the way life is. Most people rub us wrong sometimes, even people we love. Ask Linda. <laughs> Ask Linda how often being married to me is an invitation to rub against the sandpaper. Cynthia Bergeau tells me that that purifies you. Purification comes through friction, so you must be totally pure, honey. Jesus' baptism makes a statement about who he is, but then so do his life. Is there a disconnect between who you really are and how you live, what you say, what you even think inside your head. Sermon on the Mount doesn't give you room to think ugly thoughts either. How are you at recognizing you are God's beloved? How close? And do your words reflect it? Do your actions reflect being a beloved of God? I'm not talking about a self-righteous beloved of God. I can do that for you. I've felt self-righteous all since Wednesday. I would never do that. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Get over yourself. It's probably what I spent up most of last night, laying in bed, sailing at ceiling. You know, last time I looked at the clock, it was 12-12. Been in bed for two and a half hours. Well, I've got to let go of it again, God. My self-righteous certainty that I'm right and everybody else who disagrees with me is wrong. <laughs> Can you laugh at yourself? 
Can you find your bemusement in the fact that you've forgotten who you are? Remind me once again who I am to you. Who I am to you. I've forgotten. I am your beloved. I have forgotten that everyone I meet is also your beloved. Dear Jesus, forgive me. Dear Jesus, forgive me. Let me look a little bit more like the beloved of God. A little less like the reactive, divisive guy I sometimes find myself to be. One of the things that happens uh, oftentimes uh, on baptism of our Lord Sunday is a reminder of our baptism. Now, you're not here. Usually, I'd pour some water up here, get up on the stage. In fact, I am. And I would pour some water into this. You know, I don't think any of you have ever really taken a good look at this. Our baptismal font is this beautiful, Eastery, butterfly, new life, resurrection kind of image. That's our baptismal font here at St. James, a reminder of what baptism says to us. And I would pour water in here and remind you of the waters of creation. I would remind you of the Holy Spirit that brooded over those waters, God's spirit, God's breath that brooded over those waters. I would tell you that Jesus was nurtured in the water of the womb, that he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the baptizer, that water is life. Without water, we'll die that we need water to live. And then I would invite you to touch the water. Now, I'm gonna invite you to do something at home. I just happen to have a little glass right here in my hand. This is one of our juice glasses here at St. James. I'm gonna pour a little water in that right now. Having told you a bit of the story, I'm gonna pour some water in this. And then, for those of you who aren't here in person, I'm going to invite you to have a glass of water. Now, you can drink the glass of water as a way of remembering your baptism. Or you can do this. Stick your finger in the water and touch your forehead. Perhaps make the sign of a cross on your head to remember the baptism, to remind you of who you are. And if you need to do that, many of us do it in a way every day in the shower. Water runs over us reminds us of our baptism. If it doesn't remind you of your baptism, you ought to think that it does. It's probably the closest thing to the early church's baptism that you'll ever get because they believed in living water, which also means flowing water. So unless you were baptized in the river, flowing water is the way to be baptized. Shower every morning. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are.